This podcast is brought to you by the Female Health Hub. The Female Health Hub is an online program designed to help you understand your periods, support your moods and optimise your fertility in just 90 days. Through video masterclasses, you'll learn all about your female body, how it works, how to fuel it and how to feel incredible and become the woman you really want to be. It also includes a private support group where you can ask all your burning questions and virtually hang out with other amazing like-minded women. The Female Health Hub was created by me, a nutritional therapist with over five years of working with hundreds of women. If you want to make changes for life, this is the place to do it. Just search for the Female Health Hub or look for the link in the show notes. Hope you'll join me. Hello and welcome to the Jodie Brownman podcast. I'm Jodie. With every episode, I'm here to talk about female health and living a massively fulfilled life. I want to help figure out why we're here, how we can live our best life ever, and how we can tap into those amazing feminine vibes that seem to have got lost somewhere along the way in this crazy modern world we're living in. Okay, let's do this. In this episode, I talk to Mel Singh, queen of Ayurveda. Mel is not only an expert in Ayurveda, but she's also a yoga teacher, has trained in culinary nutrition, runs retreats in Goa, and has her very own podcast called Yogi Fuel. In this episode, we talk about what Ayurveda is, the different energies that we're all made up of, how to eat to balance out those energies, creating a morning routine and the Ayurvedic routine buffet, how to balance energies as a mum, and how Mel went from a rugby player to an Ayurvedic teacher. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review so we can spread the messages in this podcast far and wide. Hi, Mel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You are more than welcome. I feel like we need to set the scene again as to how I know you I don't even know how I know you it's just you just kind of popped up on my Instagram through Alicia and we've just been messaging over the last however many months and I just adore you you're hilarious and I thought we have to get you on the podcast because you talk so much sense about Ayurveda and yoga and all things magical and wonderful and we just need to talk Yes. And I'm so glad to be here. And yes, I feel like from the moment that we interacted on the gram, we were like, I don't know, soulmates or something from across the world for sure. Totally. And you really are across the world. You're in India at the moment, aren't you? Yes, I am. But you're not, you weren't born in India. So can you just tell, tell me and everybody listening where you're actually from and why you're in India and what you're doing with your life? Because (laughs) I want to know. Yeah. So I'm from Toronto. I'm from Canada and my husband is from India. And so every year for the last six or so years, we come to India for a month or two. We host our own retreats. We come and we, you know, deepen our own practice here. And then last year we were like, we've always wanted to live. We're in Goa, India specifically. So it's like beautiful beachy town. And we, it was like our dream to sort of have this life where we lived half in Canada, half in Goa in India. And so 20 19 to 2020, we were like, cool. So the season in Goa is like uh, October to say March. We were like, let's go for that time. We're going to stay. It's going to be awesome. And we happened to stay for six months uh, in the year of the coronavirus. (laughs) So we kind of got like stuck here, but actually I think it was like the universe being like, this is where you're supposed to be. Like we've always, we almost moved to India once before. So I think this was the universe being like, this is where you should be. And so we've been here for like 
a year and a half, almost like coming up to two years. It'll be two years in, I think, October, November. So we've been here for some time, but thankfully we both work in the online space. So not a whole lot has like really changed for us. We've still been able to like do our work and teach and coach and do all of the stuff that we've been doing um, like back home, but do it here. So now I say that I live in Goa, uh, even though I'm from across the pond in Canada. Wow, that's so, I love that. I wish I had that sort of traveling vibe. I, I go somewhere, I'm like, yes, this is going to be magical and I want to work abroad. And, and then I get there, I'm like, I'm so homesick, I just want to go home. I love that you're just a free spirit. That sounds amazing. But what retreats were you doing? Yeah, so my husband is also a yoga teacher. So he teaches yoga um, and yoga philosophy and I teach meditation and Ayurveda, obviously, which is the topic of this podcast. So for a while he was doing his own retreats and then we started pairing up doing like yoga, meditation and Ayurveda retreats. So we would bring people from Canada to India. We would do kind of like a combination of, and I wish that like travel was more open because it's really cool. We would take people for like a week through the sort of main, um, I'm going to call them like spiritual spots in India. We'd create like a little custom itinerary. We'd bring people through different, you know, places to explore India because I feel like you don't just like come to India, especially if you're in North America, it's like a 14 hour flight. You don't just like come to India to like sit in Goa, which could be any beach anywhere, right? You want to travel. So we have them travel for a week, we explore, and then we end in Goa and we do like a full week of like beach side meditation, yoga. Ayurveda, et cetera. Oh, so sounds yeah. like the dream. I didn't know that about your husband. I didn't know he was a yoga teacher. Yes, That's is. amazing. How did you meet? I know this is going off the topic of Ayurveda, but I'm just okay. rolling with it. How did yeah, you I meet love each other? So dun, 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 we met in his yoga class. I mean, okay. So <laughs> we did meet in the yoga studio. He was like my teacher for a while. I mean, when I say he was my teacher, I mean, like I went to his classes and we met and we became friends. We started hanging out and then I was like, oh, I think I have a crush on this guy. Like, I think I like him more than a friend. And then, you know, one things led to another. We started dating. We went to India. He proposed. We had a baby. And so now we're here oh, with the baby in India. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's just another reason why we're just soul sisters. Because I also met my husband. He was my martial arts instructor. So... <laughs> Just like go. the same path. I love it. Like the alpha male, like a good instructor. Yeah. <laughs> How old is your daughter? She is three and a half. And does she get involved in the whole like yoga, Ayurveda vibe? You know, yes. If you've ever, and anyone listening, she's actually from the UK. Maybe you know her, Cosmic Kids Yoga. Have you ever? Yes. She loves Jamie. She calls Jamie, who is the person who, for anyone listening, uh, runs Cosmic Kids Yoga, which is this like amazing, like, YouTube slash she also has like an app or something. She's like an amazing kids yoga instructor. She loves it. She loves doing yoga. She like knows the names of some of the postures. She knows like mommy and daddy like teach yoga and meditation. She'll do like half lotus and be like, oh, like she's super into it. And she's also interestingly really into like cooking and like healthy eating. Like she understands that, okay, there's like good sugar and there's like not so good sugar she will like make pizzas with me. Like she's very interested in, because we like embody it and we just like live it. Right. She just wants to be like, she wants to, you know, match what she sees. Right. So when she sees us doing it, she wants to do it. So yeah, she's definitely like a little, a little sponge of all of the things that we, that we do. Oh, it's so cute. It's yeah. so cute. But also I'm sitting here just going, please adopt me. I want to make pizza <laughs> with you and Ayurvedic food and sit in the lotus position. I want to be your other child. Yeah. 
Come. I'll, I'll make you pizzas. I'll make you anything. <laughs> Dream. Ayurvedic pizza. But now talking about Ayurveda, this is like the whole reason why I had to talk yep. to you because there is so much wisdom in Ayurveda and ancient teachings. I think it's incredible. I definitely pull on parts of it from you know, my knowledge and what I teach people, just certain little bits, but I don't know as obviously as much as you do. You are queen of Ayurveda. Queen. So for those people that are listening and they're like, what? Aya, what? Can you yeah. just explain what Ayurveda is and just walk us through everything you'd like to tell us about yes. Ayurveda? Yes. I'll walk you through all the things. And then at any point, interrupt me and like ask questions, because as you know, for those people who are watching, we are both manifesting generators. And I feel like we're like, ooh, ooh, like we both also have Vata brain. We'll talk about Vata. So I feel like we could go on tangent. So rein me in slash ask any questions you have as I keep <laughs> like, going. Because Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hold on. How have I went to rein you in? If I'm the one know. that's like, I'm the same as you. I could talk. <laughs> we really need like a third party here. To we just... do. We do. I'm going to embody, I'm going to embody being reined in. I'm just going to invoke that energy right now and be reined in in my discussion. Okay. So Ayurveda. Yes, it is definitely broad. There's so much to talk about, but I guess I can start with like, what exactly, what is Ayurveda? It's like a word that maybe people have heard of. If you're like a yoga teacher or even probably in your nutrition studies, like you probably heard it. I know lots of holistic, you know, nutrition schools, they have like a module on Ayurveda. So you kind of get like the foundation of it. But for anyone listening, Ayurveda is the ancient Indian system of medicine that originated in India over 5,000 years ago. It's actually the oldest, most continually practiced system of medicine in the world. And the word Ayurveda, so Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word. And when we like dissect what a Sanskrit word means, we kind of break it up into its sort of like parts. So the word Ayur or Ayus means life or longevity and Veda means the knowledge or the wisdom of. And so Ayurveda is the knowledge and the wisdom of life and longevity. And something that I like to kind of add into it because Ayurveda is so much about understanding yourself and like what you're made of and your constitution and your dosha. So I also like to think it's kind of like the science and the wisdom of you and your life and like what you're made of and how those energies and elements interact with the world around you and how that impacts, you know, say the foods that you should eat or the practices that you do or whatever else it is, right? Like in Ayurveda, we look not just at food. Food is a huge, huge part of it, but we also look at like what is your lifestyle like? Like, what's your routine, right? Do you have a routine? Are you kind of all over the place? We look at, are you meditating? And what kind of meditation are you doing? What kind of breath practices are you doing, right? I see people, oh man, I did a, I did a podcast on this a little while ago. Like people are doing some crazy breath stuff and a lot of people don't understand that there is no one size fits all. So a big thing in Ayurveda is there is no one size fits all. We're all unique and individual. And we have this language. Ayurveda gives us this language to understand our unique individuality. And also to understand that in being, not only are we unique, we're also multidimensional. So we're not just a body. We're not just a mind. We're actually, we exist as like a continuum as a body and a mind and an energetic sort of field all sort of coming together. And so Ayurveda in like our treatment and in the way that we look at people, we look at them not just as like a physical being and we look at these, I'll talk about the doshas in a second, but we look at how these different energies pervade not just the physical body, but the mind. Because what I see with a lot of people, I work with people who have stress, who have anxiety, who have overwhelm, which we can call a vata imbalance. We can talk about that in a bit. But what we see is not only like the anxiety, the stress and the, this like chaos in the mind, we see it in the body. 
So it's like bloating, it's like overwhelm, whatever. And that is very much because of these like underlying sort of energies that are existing within like the body and the mind as well. So I don't know if that gives like a, a high level overview of Ayurveda, but I think that might be like a good foundational place for people to kind of start and wrap their head around like what it is and how it sort of, yeah, plays out. Mm, I didn't know it was so old, the, the system. Yeah. It's just beautiful how, how you word that. And there are different doshas, right? So there are different, I guess, how do you explain it? So there are our constitutions. We're all made up of different constitutions. We all have a different constitution. And with Ayurveda, it falls into three kind of main constitutions, right? Could you yes. talk a bit about that rather than me try and go, it's this, yeah. this, this. Can you just, you tell us. Tell everyone. Yes. So even breaking it down even more, like, I guess, simply, Ayurveda says that we are all made up of the five elements. So Ayurveda acknowledges five elements. We've got ether or space, uh, air, fire, water, and earth. So I like to think of it. I thought of it the other day. I felt like this is a genius analogy. I love analogies. It's like, imagine that we're all like a baked good and we're all made up of the same ingredients, but we're made up of them in different quantities, right? So for example, maybe like a cookie and a cake have like the same ingredients, but we can see that the way that they manifest is a little bit different depending on how much like water they have. A cake has a bit more water, whereas like a cookie has like very little, right? So that's the way I like to think of it. We're all made up of these five elements. And like specifically when I work with people, I find it's easier to distill things down to the elements, though the doshas are really helpful as well. So the doshas are actually, um, we can think of them as the doshas are like these archetypes. They're actually technically these bioenergetic forces that exist within the body that are associated with the elements. So there are three, like you said, we have vata, which is associated with the air and ether elements. So it's like the windy dosha. We have pitta dosha, who's associated, which is associated with the fire and the sort of water, but more like oily. So it's like fire and oil. And then we've got kapha, which is more earth and water elements. And so these doshas, the word dosha actually means that which spoils. So we can think of these, if we can think that like we're made up of these, we're these different ingredients, right? Or we're made up of all of the same ingredients in different quantities, our dosha or our constitution is the bioenergetic force that's going to be responsible for our disease tendencies. So, or, and that could be in the body or the mind. So I like to think in like analogies and like make things really like, um, I don't know, this is how my brain works. So I like to think in metaphors and analogies. So if I said to you, and it's so simple, this is the thing too, like, I think that Ayurveda can be really complex and confusing, but it can also be so intuitive and like just, whoa, makes so much sense. So for example, if we think that the primary element associated with Vata is the wind, and I asked you like to describe a windy person, like someone who has a lot of wind in them, like what would you think that that would look like? Are you actually asking me personally? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I am. This is a quiz now. <laughs> well, just like cold and just like, all over the place. I know you're, I know you're getting to me. I'm like, what am I? Cause I know I'm totally this dosha, just a bit anxious. And also yeah. I know it's to do with like actual wind. So a bit like gassy, right? Mm -hmm. Did I get yeah. it right? You totally got it right. You nailed it. So it's like, if we, yeah. So it's like, if we can identify that, like say Vata is the wind and we know intuitively, what would the wind do to someone? The wind in this, I like to think of it too, as like a disempowered expression and an empowered expression. So when the wind is like, out of control and in a disempowered state, it's gonna like mess you up. You're gonna feel like you're in a tornado. You're gonna feel overwhelmed, anxious in the mind, over like air in the body, gas, bloating, discomfort. It also gets into say like the bones, uh, it can dry up the bones, it can dry up the tissues, it can deplete the immune system, right? That's how wind would be. 
but in a good, like, it's not that the doshas are all bad because there's a very beautiful and empowered way that we can look at the wind. It's this beautiful, it's like the winds of change. So Vata people, so I like to think of it too, as like your superpower, your superpower is probably that you're super creative. Like you can go with the flow. Your mind can like be all windy and flowy like that. You're able to be super creative and super like flow. For example, we didn't plan this conversation. You're like, but you're able to flow with it because you're Vata and you have that superpower. A Pitta type person, we'll talk about that next probably wouldn't because they're a little bit more like type A, like kind of thing. So Pitta Dosha is associated with the fire element. So if I asked you again, another quiz time. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I said someone's really fiery, like what would that invoke for you? Like, oh, this person's fiery. Like what qualities in the body and the mind would that sort of like invoke for you? Very like angry, driven, sort of like go-getter. I know you mentioned type A, but I'm going to steal that for my answer. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. It's like, so in the mind, you're totally nailing it. It's like that fire. So, okay, I'll talk about it just in general. So it'll be like, yeah, this fire, this anger, this heat, this like, oh, like irritability, right? And in the body, the fire is like inflammation. So they might suffer with chronic inflammation, maybe redness of the skin. They might feel really hot. For example, I am actually someone who's paid to property. I'm actually currently sweating a lot right now because our AC is not working. So I'm like super hot, but I'm keeping it together. It's actually grounding the Vata in me that like wants to go all over the place. Um, but they might be prone to like acne or different sort of like redness of the skin type things. And so in a disempowered state, if we've got too much of that fire, it's like, oh damn, exactly like you said, super like aggressive, super like determined, like this idea of burning out those type A people who are super goal oriented, super driven, like that's not a bad thing, but if it's too much, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to burn yourself out in like the pursuit of like your goals and nonstop. And that flame is going to take you over and like swallow you up. Right. So that can be the sort of like disempowered side. But in its empowered expression, the flame is expression. It's illuminating. It lights up the room. It's so bright and it's so powerful that it's, you know, light and its expression and the way that it shines can light other things up, right? So it has this ability to like express and share and shine. And so people who are pitta have this natural, you know, like ability to express themselves and to lead themselves and to be this like solid, sturdy flame. But it's just like, they need to be mindful that, you know, you are this constitution and you will tend to where this is a big principle in Ayurveda is that like attracts like and opposites balance. So pitta people, same with you know, if we go through all the doshas, it's like the, your nature, that fiery nature, it wants more of that. So us, you know, if we're ever in a vata space, we like the chaos a little, you know, we kind of go toward the chaos, right? And people in that pitta nature, they love and they kind of seek that like intensity. So they just need to be, I think when we become mindful and aware of these things and like we become mindful of this in our nature, we can then make decisions and choices and live either in alignment and in a way that's going to be balancing for our dosha, or we cannot be aware of it. And we're going to burn out all the time and be like, oh my God, like what's going on? What's happening? So yeah. So I think that being sort of like aware of it is really, really helpful. And then we have kapha dosha, which is associated with the earth and the water. So if I said to you, someone's really earthy like what would that look like for you well see I always think of like mother nature but just mm -hmm. that sort of that yeah well that mother that earth mother <laughs> just say yeah. the same words um oh this is a hard one actually yeah. I think this is the one that I've looked into least but maybe more grounded or just slower in energy like you tell me you're nailing my, it. You're nailing it. Yes. Okay. You did good. And it's interesting, right? 
when we know, when we understand Ayurveda, like we tend to, even in, for example, like human design, I only know about manifesting generators because I am one. I'm like, I don't need to know the other types, right? So in Ayurveda too, we tend to like know what we are and like what we know and we have that like embodied experience. So it makes sense that you're like, oh, you know, it's almost like that wind and you can't necessarily always connect to that like earthy element, but I think you nailed it. Like exactly grounded, earthy, really rooted, really nurturing. Being really nurturing is very kapha, um, is a very kapha way of being. So mothers, when we have a baby, we're actually in a very kapha energy because we just accumulated a little bit of weight to like hold the baby. And then we embody this more nurturing, mothering, earthy sort of way of being. You nailed it when you said like slow, kind of heavy, kind of sluggish. So kapha people like physically will be a little bit heavier. Um, they'll be a little bit slower, but they're super grounded. They're like super rooted. They do embody that like earth element energy. Um, and so as you can imagine in a, in a sort of disempowered context, it's like weight gain. Maybe you're gaining a lot of weight. You're tired. You're lethargic. You're just, ugh. you're like exhausted. You don't want to get off of the couch. You just want to eat potato chips all the time. Like you're just in that sort of like heavy space, maybe heavy in the mind, heavy in the body. But in an empowered state, you're this like nurturing, caring, loving, grounding space, like this anchor for people. And you can hold space for people and you're nurturing and you're loving and you're kind and you're emotional and compassionate. Like it really is exactly like you said, that sort of like mother earth energy. So in summary, read the doshas. <laughs> they can be like, I like to think of it exactly like I said, like our superpower and our kryptonite, but they're also our dis-ease tendencies. So kaphas, like I said, tend to be that disease tends to be those things of like stuckness. Like maybe it would be like um, atherosclerosis, you know, like clogged arteries, clogged, you know, heart, heart disease, um, diabetes, things like weight gain, right? People who are pizza tend to have inflammation. They tend to have like redness, acne of the or acne of the skin. Where else would acne come up? Acne, <laughs> uh, like in other kind of skin issues, being really hot, um, stuff like that. And then vatas really tend toward things like anxiety, overwhelm, all of those things. If we don't keep those forces in check, so mm. I think that understanding and maybe people listening can see it's like interestingly intuitive because yes there's like dosha quizzes and there's like you can take your type but if you even listen to this people listening can probably ascertain like what their dosha is just by listening to this because you live in your body every day and there were probably things that i said that resonated with people and probably things that didn't resonate with people and it's actually important to note that a lot of times we get really caught up in like what's my dosha like I am this one thing, but actually you're made up of exactly, like I said, all of the elements, you've got all five of them in you, you've got all those ingredients in you. So it's not that, for example, if you're like, oh, I think I'm very Vata, you of course have Kapha in you. And that energy um, gets sort of, um, I don't want to say exacerbated, but it gets increased, say, when you have a baby and you're in that motherhood time of your life and you embody more of that earthy energy. And then when you don't need it anymore, you might come back into your creative way of being or whatever it is. But we have all of these elements and energies within us at all times that change and shift depending on like what's happening in our lives, the physical time of our lives. So if we're like a kid versus like an older you know, person who's nearing the end of their life versus someone who's at the beginning of their life based on external circumstances, like hello, 2021, like people are in a probably crazy Vata space. Like there's so much anxiety floating around. Like we are human being, like we're interacting with the world around us all the time. So we are this, okay, I'm going to use the analogy of like a cake. Okay. A cake or like, I'm going to use the cake. So let's say you're a cake. Okay. And you are interacting with the elements around you. So if you left a cake outside on the counter exposed to the air, for after a few days, it'll dry up because it's exposed to the air. But if you left that same cake in water, it would get all mushy and like 
disgusting. So we are not obviously that extreme. We are interacting with the environment around us. And if our environment is, has a lot of air or a lot of anxiety or a lot of these qualities, we're going to pick up on that. And if we're not aware of that, it can create an imbalance within us. But if we are aware of it, for example, seasonal changes, lifestyle changes, you know, life changes, whatever, we can start to do things within our life to create balance within our external circumstances to take control over the fact that like we can't control what's happening around us, but we can control our life and what it is that we do. And so there's just simple, you know, practices and things that we can do to create balance within all of those things. Oh, it's amazing. (laughs) Do you know what it's, this, this whole conversation like lights a fire within me, not a pit of fire, but just like an exciting spot. It makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. And this is where I've really felt torn a lot of the time and I'll be open and honest because I have mm. really kind of trained actually before I got into nutrition I tra- trained in macrobiotics which is almost similar in the sense mm. that it's what is sort of more was it Japanese Chinese medicine think, yeah yeah and it was all about the yin and the yang so the energetic properties and it's sort of quite similar looking at constitutions although I think there's only two so I love that but then I went really sciencey and whilst mm-hmm. I feel like we kind of need the science to convince people in this modern generation who just like, I need the answers. There's also, when you're talking, I'm like, there's so much truth to this. This mm-hmm. just feels spot on. So how do we, and I want to come back a bit more to the doshas and like the sort of certain foods, but how do we use, or maybe we need to do this first, the, the how do we bring Ayurveda into the modern world? Because I remember I said to you, you know, with... Uh, where do I go with this? Because I feel like we're going to need to cover the the food bits. I went to see an Ayurvedic guy long, long before you, otherwise I totally would have come to see you. (laughs) And he was sort of told me, you know, I've got a very big butter, butter imbalance and it's to focus more on sweet foods and more on like the oily, yeah, sweet foods. And he was telling me to eat dates. And yet in my head, I'm going, uh, this is going to skew my blood sugar levels. And that you sort of, I've spoke to you about this and you've helped me to bring this back into balance a little bit by mm-hmm. sort of in fact scrap this can you just tell me the different types of uh, there's my batter going can you tell me the different types of foods then mm. or the different types of tastes because then you can come back and answer this question mm. that are associated with each dosha okay i love this how do i want in my bo- in my brain to structure this okay i'm gonna start with so this is the se- i'm gonna share with everyone the secret sauce of ayurveda i truly feel that this is the most powerful principle. If we can understand this principle, we are just going to like own life and master it. So Ayurveda rests on this principle of like attracts like and opposites balance. So, and where this is going to be helpful for anyone listening is that it's like, I love analogies. That's how my brain works. So if we, when, when I was asking you about the doshas and I was like, okay, someone who's windy, you were like, well, cold, dry, like you knew the qualities of the wind and those qualities of the wind are exactly essentially the qualities of Vata dosha. So if we look to the doshas and those predominant qualities, we can understand the foods that we would want to eat by favoring qualities of an opposite nature. And the key is that we don't want to go so opposite. So for example, let's look at Vata Dosha. Vata Dosha is, for lack of a better word, cold, rough, dry, and it's like agitated, like it's moving all the time. So we want to favor foods that are 
warm, that are grounding, that are nourishing. I'll talk about the tastes here as well. So sweet, sour, salty are like the three main tastes for vata dosha, but that doesn't mean that we should only eat sweet, sour, salty foods, or that we should go crazy on the sweet, sour, salty. It means that those are what we want to favor in moderation more than um, the other tastes, but we still do want to bring in all of those tastes because like I said, with the doshas, we are all of the doshas. We have them all within us all the time. And so we don't necessarily want to go so far in the other direction that we create an imbalance elsewhere. Because if we go too far with Vata and we're only eating say tons of dates, right? Like if a practitioner is like, just eat a lot of dates and you're like, okay, you could create a kapha imbalance, right? You might get super heavy. So I think it's important to note that, especially in the context of Ayurveda, I mean, with anything, it's not always that more is better. So it's not like we like, oh, I want to eat so much sweets. Um, that's something that's important to note. So I think that a really simple place to start for people is exactly what I said, like favoring those qualities of an opposite nature. If you're feeling like cold, anxious, overwhelmed, or vata symptomy, then favoring qualities that are opposite to vata dosha, which are more, you know, grounding, nourishing, warm, a little sweet, spices, those things are really, really good. Favoring those like more grounding tastes, like the sweet taste, and why they say that is the sweet taste is the most nourishing of all of the tastes. So dates are good, but obviously in excess, they can cause balance, but different things like grains, sweet potatoes, like think about it, fruits that come from the earth, like that are underneath the earth are going to be more grounding and nourishing for vata dosha. Um, and even if we take any food, let's say kale, kale is probably a vata aggravating food because it's bitter. It's a little bit like astringent. Um, but if we cook it and it's warm when we cook it and we've got oil on it and we put a little bit of salt and a little bit of like lemon, all of a sudden it's actually taken on the qualities that would be really helpful for someone who's vata dosha. So I think the other thing too, that I'll say before I move on to the other doshas is sometimes some practitioners can be very like, well, this is what you have to do. Like you have to only eat X, Y, and Z. And I think that in this world, we need to be mindful of moderation. We need to be mindful. Like if you're, for example, if you're working with a client, you need to be like, okay, what is this person actually going to do? Because I've also been to those same kind of practitioners, even when I was a practitioner, right? Like all coaches need coaches, healers need healers, whatever. And it's easier when you have someone who's like a bird's eye view on you, right? So they can, you know, I've got my own biases or whatever. And they were like, don't eat almonds. Don't eat this. Don't eat this. And I was like, but I'm vegan. Like, how will I, how will I have milk if I can't eat almonds, you know? So anyways, I think that it's all about like moderation as well. So if you are a Vata person and you want to eat something that might be Vata aggravating, like say cold ice cream or whatever thing, we can totally do that in moderation and we can understand again, using those, um, those principles and, uh, like tracks, like opposites balance, whatever to just do things that would be a little bit more balancing or to do it every now and then it's not that we should like never have those things. And unfortunately some people are very all or nothing like in their approach and the way that they share with their clients or their students or whatever. So I think that can be a little bit sort of, you know, problematic. And I think something we were actually talking about when we had this conversation was, um, especially when you were talking about things like, I forget the words you used, but like, I don't know, nightshades or certain diets like paleo or whatever. Like there are certain foods from a scientific perspective, from like a, you know, modern nutrition scientific perspective that don't work for people. Like Ayurveda is not a gluten, doesn't subscribe to like, oh, everyone has to be gluten-free. But I know for me, I recommend that most of my clients are gluten-free, that they re remove gluten for like a period of time, because we do know that based on science, it is inflammatory. So I think that if we can marry the simple principles of Ayurveda with the, you know, proven science of, you know, the modern world, 
and we can bridge that gap and we can bring them together. I found that that is really effective because the science does show us things. Like if we can track inflammation in a person, then we should eat in that way and we can just invite in those principles, right? So um, I think that's what I have to say about Vata Dosha. Did I miss anything? Do you have any questions? I feel like I rambled on, so I don't no, know. If no, that no, was... that's good. I mean, I'm kind of taking that from that as well, that we kind of need to just team up together and heal the world yeah, between the sites, the Ayurveda. We could just sort everything. Um, wow. Did you miss anything with the Vata? No. So it's, well, it's just like, so just to sort of recap, Vata mm -hmm. is generally the imbalances are cold. Like if you're feeling sort of like that coldness, that wind, that, mm -hmm. um, that airy, fairy, a bit chaotic, overwhelmed, anxious. Yeah. And to help, you know, bring that back into balance, we need more grounding, slightly yeah. sweeter foods, but not yes. to go so heavy on it where you're eating loads and loads of dates all day, because that will push you into like a cafe imbalance. Yes. Okay. And then we've got pitta, right? Which mm -hmm. is more fiery. And, yes. and what are the sorts of tastes that, that can set that a bit off balance as well? Mm -hmm. So pitta, okay. So actually I'll go over the six tastes. And then, so each dosha has three like thumbs up tastes, three tastes we want to favor, and then three tastes we want to like minimize. So the, the six tastes are sweet, sour, salty, pungent, bitter, and astringent. Can I just interrupt? What is astringent? Yes. And I feel like I should know this, but I have read this so many times. I'm like, okay. what is astringent? What is that taste? Astringent. That's a really good question. I want to say, uh, so like kale, it's a little bit, I feel like bitter, but it's more like, it's a taste that's a little bit reducing. So kale would be astringent. Um, and now I'm also like struggling to like name vegetables that are astringent. <laughs> um, I feel like bitter and astringent usually go together a little bit as well. Kale is like, for some reason, the only one that's popping up in my mind, but, uh, okay. For example, I think apples have a little bit of astringent, you know what I mean? Apples are sweet, but they've got that. It's like the, like that. Sort yeah. Of the, that, that yeah. face. <laughs> it's like, it's got this, like, there's almost like a drying quality to it. You know what I mean? Where you eat an apple, it's like juicy, but there's also this little bit of a yeah. thing to it. So does that make sense? I yeah. hope everyone listening, that makes sense. And yeah. if people can't see the face, it's a crucial part to see the face. <laughs> <laughs> so if everyone just makes this taste with, make the face with your mouth, that would be <laughs> That's the taste of astringent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, luckily, this is going to be released on YouTube as well. So, oh uh, my god, you'll be perfect. able to see the face. Properly. Amazing. People need to definitely, if they're listening on the podcast, like on the actual, just listens. You know, on the listens. You know what? It, <laughs> people are listening on the listens. You got to listen on the seeds, okay? <laughs> what is happening? I don't. This is what this is what we foretold would happen. This is what we foretold would happen. Okay, we did predict this. Okay, let's just let's take a breath. I'm actually proud. We haven't we haven't really shown the true colors. Okay, no, it's come. So. It could come. We really are holding it together. We really are. Professional. So okay. Um, okay. Pitta. Let's so, channel our inner pitta. Channel our inner pitta. You were talking about astringent taste. Astringent taste. Okay, so for pitta, sweet, bitter, and astringent are the best tastes sour, salty, pungent, pungent being spicy are not so good. And we can see why that would be pungent is hot, spicy, hot, mm. less hot equals more hot. We don't want to be more hot. So essentially what we want to think of for pitta, I like to make it as like simple as possible. We want to cool things down. So if we have a big flame and that doesn't mean we want to put the flame out, it means we want to just be mindful that we're not like stoking the flame so much that it creates like a big hot mess, literally hot mess um, in the world. So we want to favor things that are cooling. We want to favor things that are sweet, but again, not going like too crazy on the sweet side. The thing with pittas is, so the concept of digestion in Ayurveda is called Agni. Agni is the digestive fire. 
Pitta people are the lucky people who have really strong Agni or digestive system. These people truly can eat kind of, I don't want to say kind of anything, but they can get away with like the most. So the rules for Pitta people, I generally say are just keep things cool, um, keep it cool and make sure that we are, yeah, that we're not favoring things that are super hot. The sweet taste is really good. The bitter and astringent are really good to just make sure that we're not accumulating too much, again, to cool things down and to reduce things a little. So from an Ayurvedic lens, Ayurveda says that Agni, so our digestive system is the root of all health. So if we have a good digestive system, we're going to be able to digest and assimilate and eliminate anything that we take in. So that's like the first thing Ayurveda works on. Pitta people are blessed with a naturally fantastic Agni or digestive fire, like from birth. So Pitta, or so I'll even go back to Vata dosha. Vata people tend to have like an all over the place. Like, so if someone, if people are like, how do I know if my Vata is out of balance? If you are like pooping super irregularly, like you don't go for a few days and you're like constantly but then you're like pooping like a bunch of times in a day and it's just like all over the place. That's very um, vata on this one side, kapha, slow, sluggish. You're not pooping that often, like pretty consistently. Pittas are like fantastic. But if pitta people, if you notice that you're consistently pooping like four or five times a day, people are like, I pooed so many times. Yes. Like I'm eliminating. I'm like, no, you should poo like two times, like just two, like just get it out and done. You don't want to be like pooing all the time, you know? Anyways. <laughs> that's, another, that's another thing. But um, so yeah, so with Pitta people, we really want to focus on like the cooling and the sweet. Um, the sweet taste is actually also kind of cooling and it's actually kind of like rejuvenating and like nourishing, which is really helpful for Pittas. So um, for them, I feel like it's a little bit more, hmm, I don't want to say like eat whatever you want, but I like to, especially like when I work with people, I like to give them the sort of like basics of nutrition, which is like have your carbs, have your fat, have your protein, have your greens. Like that's just the, yeah, the basics, you know, people think it's like this complicated thing. Ayurveda is like eat real food. <laughs> and I feel I like what you hear is what like, I say, yeah, the same. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, if you're just eating real food, you're going to do well. And the cool thing that I actually see with people. So like phase one, even for people I work with, like, I think that sometimes two people are like, get so caught up and I have to eat so Ayurvedically, you know, especially for a Pitta person, it's a little, it's quite nuanced actually. And over time, I think that when people start to become mindful of their nutrition and they get that first layer, like most people are not eating real food. Like most people I feel are eating like processed things over whatever, like things they're eating out, like they're not making their own food. So phase one is like, eat real food. Pitta people can honestly, if you're just eating any type of real food, you're probably good. And then once you've got that in check, then you can start to refine a little and be like, okay, so what's, what's aggravating my pitta? Like how do I, now if I have spicy food, cause I'm, it's hot AF here. Okay. As I told you, I'm sweating. <laughs> it's like 40 degrees outside trigger warning to anyone who's in like oh, a not so great yeah. climate. I'm sorry guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry guys. Sorry. It's really hot. Um, so if I have something hot, I feel it in my body. I feel irritated. I feel heartburn. Like I can feel it almost instantly. Whereas maybe a few years ago, I wouldn't. So, um, pizza people, I would say can be a bit more liberal. And then as they go, they can kind of be a little bit more like, okay, intelligent and conscious about, okay, I'm pizza. Let me notice how this spice works for me or doesn't work for me. And then kind of refine there. So some cooling foods, just for example, are things like coconut, yogurt. Um, you can do like a dairy-free yogurt. Coconut yogurt's like a double whammy because it's coconut and yogurt. So it's like super cooling. Things like coriander, um, fennel is quite cooling. Cardamom is really cooling. Um, different types of grains like basmati rice is actually really good. But um, I would say like for, for me personally, I find that the basmati rice, you might ask about the blood sugar levels. I prefer like a whole grain. So I'm a whole grain kind of gal, gluten-free whole grain kind of gal, like the quinoa, the barley. And again, I think it's one of those things where it's like, we want to be tuned into like what works for us in our body because also there's three doshas 
to describe 7 billion people. We are not all, I'm sure in your practice, you see there are no two women who are exactly the same, even mm. if you're a pizza or a cuff or whatever. So I think it's really important that if you have a high level understanding of what your dosha is, you don't just like remove all personal responsibility from everything and just like do what the dosha Bible says that you're like constantly checking in with what is going on for me today? How do I feel today? What is the dominant energy? What is the dominant element that's showing up for me today? And that you live in alignment with that because there are some days I feel anxious AF and I need to be like, okay, I need to calm that Vata. And there are some days I feel super cuffa and I need to like get it up a bit. There are some days I'm like sweating <laughs> AF and I need to cool it down a bit. Right. So I think that's something else to know is like to be constantly tuned into when we understand this language and we start to practice it and embody it like daily, we start to be more attuned with, okay, like, what do I need today? Cause who I am today is not who I was yesterday or a year ago or whatever. I am interacting today as a unique person with the elements and energies and attributes around me. New things are happening. We're getting like annoying news or this, you know, thing happened. We need to be like mindful of that and like adjust our nutrition mm -hmm. in that way. So that's just like another note as well is these are like principles that we can then apply to our unique and individual situation. So if we always go back to like attracts like opposites balance, just get clear. Like what is showing up for me today? What energies, what elements, what attributes? And if we can get clear on that, then we can start to be like, okay, I can just do the opposite of that. I can just kind of embody those opposite qualities. So that is Pitadosha. Did I ramble? Do you have questions? <laughs> no questions. That was okay. perfect. Amazing. Um, and then we have last, but certainly not least Kapha dosha. Like we said, this is the earthy, you know, um, dosha. And this is where I actually think I talked about this the other day, like most nutrition information out there, like in the diet culture is geared toward kaphas, like a lot of it. I think that now we're doing a good job of being like, wait, 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 nutrition is about more than weight loss. Nutrition is about fertility. Nutrition is about like energy. Nutrition is about, you know, reducing stress. Like we know that, but traditionally a lot of nutrition information has been for kaphas. So kaphas are heavier. So we want to have a lighter diet. This is where like, for example, okay, a raw vegan diet would actually be pretty good for a kapha person for a vata person. Hell no. Okay. Cold, <laughs> raw, rough, dry. No, bad idea. If you are, if you are a vata and interestingly vatas will want this, like the skinny vata yogis who are like, I'm a raw vegan. It's like, if you are experiencing anxiety, constipation, like gas and bloating, like that is because you should not be eating a raw vegan oh diet. But it's hard, isn't it? Because I felt like I'm exactly, I did that a few years mm -hmm. ago before I, I sort of, well, a good few years ago now I was a raw vegan and I am very butter. And yeah. it was just, I, I, it made so much sense to me. I'm like, yeah, raw food from the earth. This makes sense. And yet I felt like death and I was gassy and I'm like, how many nuts do you want me to eat? I can't deal with any more of, and the crackers, like the nut seed crackers. And then I went to, I took out my husband actually to like, I was like, let's go to this raw vegan place. They do burgers. And he was like pumped. And then they're like the dry nuts sprouted seed burgers. <laughs> it nearly cost us our relationship. Yeah. But I'm going off on a tangent. That was my turn to go off on a tangent, but no, that raw vegan stuff, was not is not for everyone sorry please continue just no i, I think that's there. such a great it's such a great anecdote because i think that people we get so many people get their information from instagram or youtube or these videos and it's not wrong like it's not that the exactly like you said it's not that raw vegan is bad for everyone it's just you want to be clear on like how is that interacting with me exactly as a vata person you're going to feel bloated gassy 
et cetera. Whereas like, again, someone who's kapha, who's got a, a little bit more heaviness in them, they can do a raw vegan diet. But I would even say that for like a long-term sustainable thing, it might not work, but maybe for some people it does. Like, again, we're also different. So it's like, we just don't want to always be looking outside of ourselves and like relying on, you know, these Instagram posts and, oh, so-and-so got this great result with this thing. It's like, well, what, a, well, you're unique. Like you need to understand mm -hmm. you and how it's going to work for you because it's going to be different from like anyone else. Right. So for, yeah. So for kapha people, it could be really good. They want to focus on more light things. So like the traditional, like diet information of like reducing and like, you know, eating salads and eating things that are a little bit lighter in nature is a great thing for kaphas because they are a little bit heavier. So sadly, so I'm actually my constitution. Ooh, I'll talk about this right now very quickly because I feel like we may be getting out of our time, but in Ayurveda, there's this concept of your prakriti. So your dosha that you're born with, this is your natural constitution. You came to this earth from the heavens above and you were given these ingredients, like, you know, the ingredients of you, that's your prakriti. But then, as I said, we're interacting with the world around us and that is, and then that shapes our current state of balance or imbalance, which is known as vrikriti. So I forget why I was going on about this, but oh yes. Okay. So we just want to be mindful of our current state of being and how that is going to depend on what it is that we eat. So for example, I'm a pitta kapha, but I tend to a vata imbalance because anxiety, if concussions, nervous system stuff, et cetera. So even though I'm like a pitta kapha, I tend toward a vata imbalance. So this might be getting confusing. So I think I'm going to rein it in here, but I think it's important that we're very mindful that we have a constitution that is what it is, but that we can tend toward an imbalance that's not necessarily our constitution. Um, so anyways, coming back to this, I feel like that was me going on a tangent and I'm just going to rein it into this because I think that this is where Ayurveda gets confusing and where it can be really yeah, overwhelming for people to be like, wait, what's my prakriti and my vikriti and constitution in this? So I'm going to like actually shelve that for now. <laughs> And we'll just stay with the, with the kapha. But when I found out that I was, uh, had a lot of kapha in me, sadly, the three tastes that we want to minimize are sweet, sour, and salty, which I actually think are the most delicious tastes. Like sweet is so yummy and like sour, salty. So we want to minimize those and we want to favor pungent, bitter, and astringent. So we want to favor things that are going to, if kapha is heavy and it's kind of stuck, we want to get things moving a little. And so spices actually are amazing for kapha. Hot spices, think about if you heat up anything, coconut oil, whatever, it melts it, right? It makes it move more, boil, the heat boils the water, right? So if we can put heat in kapha, that's a really good thing. It's going to get kapha moving. So we can do that with spices. We can also do that with favoring warmth in food as well. So same as vata, we want to favor a bit of warmth um, and then favor those light foods like bitter, astringent, and uh, pungent, like I said, which is a little bit hotter in nature. And we, and again, kapha people can do better with things that are a bit raw. But again, if we come back to agni, this might get a little confusing again, but I'm going to go there. Their Agni is heavy, dull. It's not like a bright, strong flame. It's like, <laughs> like it's a bit of a struggling flame. So even though, um, yeah, Kapha is like strong, their Agni might not be strong. So it's very hard for some people as well. Even if you're not Vata, if your digestive system isn't strong enough, you're not going to digest the nutrients in a raw vegan diet. And a huge reason too, why people are like raw vegan, you know, even in Ayurveda, we talk about prana. We talk about the life force of food. So food is from Ayurvedic perspective, food is consciousness. Food is, you know, God, Brahman is what they say in, um, in Ayurveda and yoga, food is the life force. It's the thing that builds us up. It actually like becomes our physical body, which is pretty crazy. And so the idea in Ayurveda and yoga is we want to cultivate more of that life force, but we need to be mindful. Can we digest and assimilate that life force? If your digestive system isn't strong enough and you're eating this raw food, even though it's maybe abundant in like 
prana and life force because it's not cooked and it's not touched, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to digest it. So it can be because it's cold, because you have to chew it 87 million times as you're chewing, as you're eating it, we might not be digesting it right um, properly. And so that's where kafas can struggle with the raw food. So they just want to be a little bit careful with that. Um, so yeah, I think that's How what do I have you to help say about. It? Depends. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the Ayurvedic answer for everything is it depends. So I would say first and foremost, if digestion is off, probably similarly to, I mean, because I also work with like, I call it like an East meets West model. I like to eliminate the inflammatories and then increase spices. Spices from an Ayurvedic lens are like money. Those are the mm. things that again, they're going to help to kindle that agni. So if we put like ginger, cayenne, black pepper, um, even things like um, fennel or coriander or cumin, these spices are all very therapeutic and very healing for Agni. So if we understand what's happening with the digestive system, Ayurveda says Agni can be high. So it can be very pitta. It can be like a big flame. It can be like a low flame, like in um, Kapha Dosha. It can be like a hot mess all over the place flame, like in the context of Vata, or it could be neutral. Most people don't have like a neutral balanced agni. So if we understand like the state of the agni, then it becomes very simple. Well, what do we need to do? Do we need to improve the flame? Do we need to calm the flame? Or do we need to like get that flame shit together and like bring it back into balance? And then depending on that, it would sort of depend like what we would do. But I would say roughly like really get it together, start eating real food, right? So, and even I would, I would offer one of the most powerful things people can do is be consistent with your food right? Like your body, like imagine if you had a cat, okay. Your cat knows it's going to eat at like X time, X time, X time or dog or whatever animal. Try not feeding that cat at that same time. It knows when to expect food. And if you don't feed it at the time, it's going to be pissed. It's going to meow at you. It's going to be like, meow, meow. it's going to like get all up in you. And it's going to want that food. Your body is the same. It's so funny because like when it comes to our kids, right. Or, or our pets, we're like diligent about feeding them. Like we know that they have a schedule. We know like intuitively that they need some sort of routine, but it's like, we are like, ah, I don't need that. And that's one of the things that actually dysregulates Agni as well. So it's definitely like a multifaceted process, but I think that we could even start with basics and then go a little bit deeper and be like, okay, so like what's going on? But I think establishing and understanding what is the state of the digestive system? Is it high? Is it low? Is it all over the place? And then from there kind of understanding what to do, but generally like eat real food, reduce the inflammatory things and get like healing spices in is a fit and be regular in your eating times, I think is like a fantastic place for most people to start. It's mm. yeah. amazing. I want to yeah. learn more. I've, this is such <laughs> a huge topic and I know you go into this in a lot more depth than your courses and your podcast as well. Mm-hmm. How much time do you have? Because I kind of want to ask you a bit about routines. Ask me more. Yeah. Okay. I, got, I got time. My kid's in school. <laughs> amazing. Well, that's also, I mean, you, I saw on your Instagram the other day, I love your Instagram. You make me laugh so much, but yet you're so knowledgeable about this um you you talk about ayurvedic routine buffet which i love because for me and i'm gonna i I always get into this this is just a completely selfish podcast if i'm totally honest i just want to (laughs) know just tell me everything um i i was so big on routines before i had a, a child I would get up in the morning and like I'd read a lot of these wellness books are like you get up you meditate you do yoga and that sounds magical right and then you have a really nourishing breakfast fabulous and then you have a child and all that goes out the window but also women that are just working or they've got meetings or they're just really busy how do you structure that kind of routine when 
you're sort of almost forced out of a routine. Mm-hmm. I know that's yeah. a question. No, I think it's a great question. And interestingly, I think that people love to like overcomplicate like the morning routine and you see all these things that are like, you know, so certain people on Instagram who I agree, who don't have children, who maybe don't have, you know, whatever, they've got lots of time available to them. They're like, just finish my four hour morning goddess ritual. And you're like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not allowed to say that. And you're like, four hour morning goddess ritual, like pardon. <laughs> so I think that like first things first is we need to come back to, ooh, this is a good one. Like what's the intention of a morning routine? Why do we even want routine? We want routine to keep us grounded. For me as a mom, I think you would agree. For me specifically, I talk a lot about the nervous system because I actually find that the nervous system and science and Ayurveda do like intersect a lot. So coming back to this, people who have say Vata imbalance have super dysregulated nervous system. If we're overstimulated, overwhelmed, we are going to have an overstimulated, aggravated Vata dosha. It's going to be a hot mess. So while I think that, so the purpose of a morning routine in my also humble opinion, especially if you're a mom, is to ground you so that when your child wakes up, you've got it together enough to be able to like handle it. And I think that, like I was saying before, we almost need to like redefine and understand like, what is that intention and not have these like crazy expectations for like what a morning routine is. It doesn't have to be two hours or one hour or even 30 minutes. It could be 10 minutes. I have found that the most important thing that I do, it does, it's not a crazy intense routine. It's literally like simple, you know, practices that I do every day consistently without fail, whether I have 10 minutes or an hour or two hours sometimes. And I'll be honest with you, like I wake up crazy early now because a, I like to have more time without my daughter in the morning so that I can be like, you know, getting it together for when she wakes up. But I think that, yeah, this ideal that you need to have this crazy morning routine that there's these like specific things that you have to do. Like if you read these journals, it's like nine essential morning routine habits. And you're like all nine, I have to do all nine. And like even traditional Ayurveda would say you should meditate 30 minutes a day in the morning and the evening. Traditional Ayurveda says that meditation sessions should also like, if you're going really deep, they could be even 45 minutes and include this, this, and this, and then you have to do your yoga and then you have to do this thing. And you're like journaling and you're like, ah, like there's all these, you feel like there's, especially if you're in a Vata space and we're anxious and we're overwhelmed and we're overstimulated. We feel like there's so many things to do. The thought of creating a morning routine can feel so anxious and and overwhelming. So where I like to think of it as a buffet is like, if you go to a buffet, like you don't have to eat everything at the buffet, you know, like no one's like, don't you? Yeah. (laughs) You have to taste everything though. That is true. Sorry, that I'm ruining your analogy. Sorry, no, I, lo- I know it's it's true. You and you know what? That's actually a great analogy. Like maybe you do want to taste everything. Maybe I think that more it's the same way that food is so unique to the individual. So is a morning routine. So it's like you want to t- like feel into what do I need? What do I need in the morning to feel good? Do I need 20 minutes? Does 20 minutes feel like it's enough? And what are the things that I'm doing in those 20 minutes? Like what are the what are the, the things that I'm going to take from the buffet that are going to be helpful? Maybe you try around, right? Maybe you try some of the things on the buffet and you're like, this one's really good. I think I'm going to keep this. And maybe you try one and you're like, not going back for that one. That was not my cup of tea, right? So I think it's so individual. And like, I used to see people who are like, I do 30 minutes of like streaming journaling in the morning. Like that does not work for me. Like I like to write out a few affirmations and like, I'm done, you know? And then I go on to things that work for me. And so Ayurveda has some different suggestions on things that like you could do in the morning that would be helpful. Some people like to do them all. Some people like to do two or three. Like I always say, pick, you know, like one to three things. And before you want to just like do all the things, do one or two consistently, do that consistently for a week, start small and don't give yourself this like 
enormous task of like creating this like magnificent morning routine, especially if you're a mom in a friggin' pandemic, like who's also working and like doing all these things. Like, no, like that is unreasonable. And like, anyways, I think there's a lot of like self-care stress for some people where we feel, you know, we're moms are trying to do all the things. And so, yeah, I think that just getting back into, okay, Hey, how much time do I have? in the morning and, and what do I need to do to like create 20 minutes in the morning for me to do this routine? Like for me for a long time, almost all of last year, I wasn't, I was getting up with my daughter and let mm. me tell you, it was so overwhelming. Like I was just so irritated all the time. Like I couldn't. And then I had to say, listen to my husband, Vikram, I said, I really need some time in the morning. Can you please like you watch her for even 20 minutes? Like I just, I need my time. And we had to have this like tough conversation because I was really struggling. And so, I mean, I want to acknowledge too, like some people don't have like a partner to rely on or they maybe don't have that available to them. So I think it's about really self-sourcing too and being creative with like, what is available to me? Like what is possible for me? Can I wake up? Like I wake up, like I said, at like 5 a.m. so that I can have some time mm. to like that regulate. So yeah, I think getting, I feel like I've kind of gone all over the place here, but I think the overarching message is like, figure out what feels like it could work for you, figure out what you want to do. What are the things on the buffet that you enjoy doing and play around with it? Like it doesn't have to look the same. My morning routine evolves depending on the day and what I want to do. There's like some consistent things that I do, but sometimes it shifts and it changes and like, I'm okay with that. So yeah, I would say to figure out what is in, what like is possible for you, how much time you have. Do you have to have a tough conversation with your partner? Do you have to ask for help? This is something we as moms struggle with, like, you know, and just, I can tell you that in the last like three months, my mental health, my anxiety, everything literally from getting more grounded in my routine has like flourished simply because I asked for help and I got some support in the morning and can now have a grounded nervous system going into the day because I did some simple things and they aren't complicated. Like I literally do like brush my teeth, scrape my tongue, have hot water. Maybe I can go into this in a little bit more detail, but I do like a few simple things and I'm like, I'm good to go. And I'm good to like handle the day and handle the 84 million questions my daughter wants to ask me as soon as she wakes up in the morning. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. we're so similar. And like, I, I, it is that asking for help sometimes that mm -hmm. is just, I'm, I'm actually writing a pregnancy nutrition course and like postpartum at the moment. And that is one thing that I am going to push because there's this weird thing that we feel that we don't want to ask for help or mm -hmm. but we also i don't think we realize that we need help necessarily because it yeah. just it's like it's not that big a deal like i religiously get up every single morning with my son every single morning at like between five and six a.m like i'm the one because i'm like no you've gone to bed like i say to my husband you've gone to bed late like i'll go to bed earlier you're probably more tired than i am like mm -hmm. i'm also a morning person so i can get up quicker whereas he doesn't so i'm like okay it's all right i'm, I'm up but actually to just be able to say no, you know what? I know that this will serve me if mm -hmm. I just, if I just reach out and, and just actually give myself some time. Yeah. Oh, you're so wise. You're so, so wise. wise. Yeah. <laughs> what, so you were going to, you were mentioning that you, you do some tongue scraping. Yes. Do you want to go into that bit more or were there, there were three things you mentioned and you were like, maybe I'll go yes. into that a bit more. I don't know whether that was just tongue scraping or you want yes. to talk about the hot water more. <laughs> I'm not sure which one. Yeah. Okay. I'll totally share the like, so yes, I'll share like the key things that I do. And then some of like the add on things that are helpful. 
and maybe why they're important just to give people like context if they're thinking like, because too, yeah, you read these articles and you're like, uh, but what are the most, what are the most important bang for my buck things I could do in the morning? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so, um, so I also think a really interesting thing that's helpful. It's like a bonus tip is like, if you can wake up at the same time daily ish, I think that's really helpful to create routine and consistency. For example, you probably find your son wakes up at the same time every day. We are rhythmic circadian beings who love routine. We love routine. We love a rhythm. In fact, actually routine is one of the key things to balance Vata Dosha if you're feeling overwhelmed. And I think that's why moms experience such overwhelm because there's no fucking routine for the first like year of your life. It's just this like massive gong show of like what is going on. So, um, so I think, yeah, consistency as much as you can, given your circumstance, like I think actually let me take it back because you are doing this um, course for like new moms. And so maybe if a new mom is listening and you feel like, OMG, like I have no routine or ritual at all. Like what am I supposed to do? I found in those early days, having like two to three things that I was going to do daily. And it didn't matter what time I did those things. So for example, I would actually breastfeed and do breath work. I'd be lying down and I'd be focusing on my breath. Or I would say, okay, she's going to nap and I'll do like a you know, quick, quickie meditation or I'll make 10 minutes to just move my body. So if you're like a new mom and there's no schedule, because honestly, trying to force a schedule when your baby is three months old is going to feel like you're failing. So don't try and do that. Um, but anyways, back to like the actual morning routine. So um, being consistent as much as possible with waking up is really helpful if that is available to you. But I wouldn't like, oh, I'm doing it wrong. Like let it be. Um, a natural evolution. If you're someone who wants to like wake up earlier, that's a big thing that my clients want to do. They want to wake up earlier. So I always say like, make it really gradual, right? Like give yourself 30 minutes today and then like do that for a few days. And then 30 minutes earlier, like don't shock your body into, I'm going to, I'm waking up at eight. Fucking, I'm going to wake up at five, you know, make it really gradual. Um, and then once I wake up, I will literally get up. I do not look at my phone. I literally turn off that alarm. I put it away. Actually, it's a lie. I turn on the little flashlight so I can make my way out of the room because <laughs> I still sleep with my daughter. So I like get into the room and then I go, I brush my teeth and then scrape my tongue. Here's why scraping your tongue. First of all, I hope everyone's brushing their teeth in the morning. I hope that's a ritual you're already doing. If not, please start brushing your teeth in the morning. <laughs> um, but scraping the tongue, this is really important. This is something I was not doing until I learned about Ayurveda, but in the evening or through the night, our body, we have AMA. AMA is toxic buildup. So in the morning, if you look at your tongue, it'll be probably like a little bit white. There might be some stuff on it. That's your AMA. That's your toxins that are trying to get out of your body in the morning. So if we don't scrape our tongue and then we go and we eat stuff, we actually re-ingest that AMA. We re-ingest those toxins. We don't want to do that. We don't want to re-ingest toxins. That just sounds gross to anyone who's listening. So if we scrape the tongue. You can get a tongue scraper on Amazon. You can, I mean, probably at like a local drugstore, but literally if you go on Amazon, type, type in tongue scraper, you can get them. Um, and you'll literally just scrape your tongue like 10 times from the back to the front until most of the like white stuff is gone. And then you can kind of like rinse it off and you're good to go. Um, again, like I said, that is something that helps to make sure that those toxins just like leave the body. So we're not just like filled with toxins during the day. Um, and then the next thing I do before I have anything else, I know it's tempting for people who want to maybe have coffee in the morning or whatever, do yourself a favor and let the first thing that you drink be warm water, room temperature water with or without lemon. If you're someone who's very pitta, you might want to favor like a lime. Lime is a little bit more cooling, but um, I sometimes just drink plain hot water. Some people think it's disgusting, but I actually don't mind it. So um, plain hot water can be really helpful, but don't let the first thing that you have, you want to flush the system first thing. This is really helpful. It's also really calming. If you have that warm water, it feels like a warm hug for your inside. So I do that. And then what I'll do, and again, it totally depends, but I like to do some sort of like introspective 
thing in the morning. Lately, it's been asana. I've been doing more of like my yoga practice in the morning where it's just me. I'm quiet with my thoughts. You could do a five minute meditation. Like when I tell my people to start meditating in the morning, I don't even mean like 30 minutes in the morning, 30 in the evening. I mean, sit in silence for five minutes. Even if you don't know how to meditate, even if you're like, I suck at meditation, just sit with your eyes closed and concentrate on something or just be in silence and having that space is really, really helpful. Um, and then, yeah, I usually do my yoga practice and then what I'll do, some people love journaling. I like to just write out my affirmations or my goals really quick, like three to five minutes. I find in the morning, I can't just like write my goal, like these big elaborate things. So I just like to do that. And then, um, I would say those are like the sort of big ones. You could also do like a breath practice is really helpful. Again, if your nervous system is really all over the place, starting simply again, I talked about my like beef with like the breath work industry and these like crazy breath practices, but even just like matching your inhalations with your exhalations, doing some sort of regulating practice can be really helpful. Um, you could do things like abhyanga, which is like self massage, or you could do like dry brushing. I don't do that. I feel like it takes a long time. I don't have that time. Mm. Um, yeah, I wrote a little uh, like ebook. It's like a, a download thing. I can send you the link if you want, if people want to like go through the whole thing. Cause now I'm forgetting some of the things that I added in there, but I think those are like the main ones. And I feel like that's it. Like some people might love to like read tarot cards and like sage and like invoke this like energy for the day. And like, that's cool if you have time for that. But just so you know, it's totally fine to have like a quickie 15 minute morning ritual that you do. Just do it every day, whatever it is, do it every day. And maybe write it down for yourself. Like I found too, that when you do something for like, I think it's like 21 days to build a habit. So if you just do this, even if it's one or two things, even if it's like, I'm going to wake up, brush my teeth, scrape my tongue, have hot water and just sit, that is friggin' perfect. And, if, and that all could take you 10 minutes. Mm. Like that's how quick it could be. So look at the buffet, figure out what are like, you know, the things that would be sort of, what are the things that you enjoy doing, right? Because ultimately if you hate it, if you hate meditation, Maybe it's not time for you to do that. Maybe you want to do a breath practice. Maybe you want to do a movement practice. Maybe you want to do something. Maybe you want to do the journaling, right? So I think it's about tuning into what do I enjoy doing? Because there's no one else outside of you that knows what's best for you other than you. You live your whole life in your body, right? So yeah. I think that giving people like the power back to choose, like there isn't this like one prescription, you get to be in control of like what it is that you do. And so, yeah, I think. And it might be that it, it, sorry. No, yeah. go on. I was just going to say, it might be that you, um, it varies as well, depending on your cycle. Cause I know some people when mm -hmm. you're like ovulating or in the first half of your cycle, you might be like, yeah, okay, I'll do some yoga. And then as you move towards, it's just like, no, I'm just going to sit and breathe. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. And interestingly in Ashtanga yoga, which is the style of yoga that I do women, we take the moon, the, we call them moon days. Well, the actual days of the moon. So the full and the new moon, actually, by the way, we don't practice. So I don't practice asanas on those days. I do like more of a breath and meditation practice. And for, I like to do the full duration of my cycle, which is like four to five days. I don't practice asana. Exactly. Like you said, I do like a more seated practice. And the cool thing is, cause I know that you work so much with like cycle syncing and like all of that and kind of like aligning women with their cycle is like, yeah, it would be really cool to see how you shift your morning routine practices and how you might do the same. This is the thing that I say to people as well. It's like, even in the context of say a yoga, like a physical yoga practice, you might do, so in Ashtanga, we do the same thing every day, which kind of seems boring, but it's really interesting because I get to see how when I'm closer to my period, I do feel, I feel slower. Like I go slower through the postures. I take it easy. I'm like, I'm not trying that hard in this, you know, like I'm not putting pressure on myself and I stop for a few days and yeah, it is really cool. And so I think that's amazing. Exactly. Like you said, aligning it with, this is the part of Ayurveda too. It's like Ayurveda is about 
living in, in harmony with nature, with your nature, with nature outside of you. And our nature as women is that we have this monthly cycle. And so aligning our lives with that cycle is a huge part of Ayurveda. And so women should be, and as you, you know, become attuned to your cycle and attuned to those energies, we totally should be aligning our life with those energies and, you know, chilling in those moments of, you know, menstruation and giving ourselves that break, which I think you and I have talked about this. I was like, why did we give up that five? Didn't women, I think we talked about this. We used to get like five days off. Yeah. I want that now, you know? (laughs) I know. Do you know what? There's something that I am, I am so passionate about. It's like there, there is a fire in me at the moment to just try and return to our roots and to bring that wisdom of women back and the wisdom of the cycles and this rest day. And I think it comes from tapping into practices like Ayurveda and that, that, that ancient knowledge that's just been passed on through generations. I don't know where it's got lost and it needs to bring back. So you're with, when, when you're just, you sort of do seated um, practice with yoga, because I've heard this before. Someone, someone mentioned like you shouldn't really do inversions Mm -hmm. on your, on your period or before your period because of the, the flow. Is that right? Yes, that is exactly right. It's so funny. I, I think I had like an epiphany that you were going to ask me about this. So yes, that is true. Um, so when we are on our period, if we think about it, like logically, right? Again, this is where it's like, it all makes so much sense. The flow of energy is going down and out. Our like womb energy, like womb energy or not, blood is literally going down and out of our body. Like that is physically what's happening, subtly, energetically, it's going down and out. So if we do inversions, then it's like stopping that energy. And interestingly, I think this is why, and I know you've talked about this, which is so exciting is this is also where I kind of feel like as women, if we can, if we cannot stick something up there and stop that flow, like this is our superpower, you know, like that is the portal between like the unseen and the seen. Like we are these fucking magical beings who like bring actual life that did not exist before. And then we make it in our bodies and then we push it out through this opening, this magical opening. And then on our period, when this like energy is like moving down, it's moving out, it's like flowing. We're like, boop. And we stop that flow. Yeah. Right. We just like, and I think like, I mean, like, I know you've talked about all the frigging toxins and, you know, in uh, tampons, but also if we think energetically, we're blocking that downward flow. And interestingly, I had a lot of weird period stuff after my daughter, but um, I've noticed that since I've just been having these like organic pads and I let that flow just come out, I have way less, like I have no symptoms. I have no, you know, crazy bloating. I have no, like I used to get sharp pain. I have no sharp pain anymore. Like I honor and I allow, I'm also like, I think about it for four years. I didn't have a period. Okay. For like a year Mm. I was pregnant. And then for three years, which is not ideal, but got myself in integrity. Yay. Um, I'm like such a different person now. So it's like, I can really honor that downward moving energy. So if you are doing, um, yoga or any movement on your, your period, then we want to have like really grounding, really, you know, gentle movements. Squats could be good. Actually, like some gentle squats could be really good. Like if you're not into like yoga or whatever, just some basic, you could do some seated postures, anything that's sort of grounding. And that's more like yin based would probably be pretty good. But yeah, inversions, you don't want to do nothing high energy, really like intuitively thinking, okay, if the energy is moving down and out of me, what movements would support that? And what movements would like kind of mess up that energy? We can see obviously like if we're tipped upside down, that energy is going to like go back in, you know? (laughs) So we want to just, yeah, honor that. Amazing. And actually talking about sort of periods and I hope you don't mind, I will let you go at some point. I just want to talk to you forever. Um, 
the the imbalance is because there are certain period issues and like PMS problems and hormonal problems that are linked with certain doshas, aren't they? And certain dosha imbalances. Do you? Am I? I'm sort of throwing a curveball at you. Do you know about that? Sort of more. It's a great question, Gemini. Because yeah, I I know like things like endometriosis can be linked to like vata imbalances. So, is this just? Am I just? taking this on a whole different thing that we were not prepared for yes come back next time (laughs) i'll come back um i think that so yeah i'm definitely not like a a, like a women's health period specialist with ayurveda so truly like i don't know but i would say like if i would look at the nature of the doshas the nature of those energies and how that might manifest for example i would say that yeah vata people probably really irregular periods so i'm not super sure about like the, the pcos and stuff like that um yeah, I would have to like look into that, but I think that Vata might manifest. I mean, if we think of the womb space, it's open. So Vata probably does have some sort of like domain over that space. And so Vata is agitated and aggravated. Of course, it's going to affect that space. It'll definitely create like weird wonky periods that are irregular. So if people have, think anything that's irregular in the body, it's like there's a Vata dosha link in there. If we have really like super heavy periods, that might be more of a, uh, might actually be more of like a kapha thing. Um, and if we might have like inflammation, like pain during the period, that might be like a more, a more pitta thing. But yeah, I don't fully know the full answer and scope right. of that. I thought I'd just that's okay. sneak, sneak a quick question. Sneak it in there. <laughs> this is now so I want to research and, and give you an answer. Okay. You'll have to come back. I'll do it. I will. I also want to hear, can you just, before you go, can you briefly, I feel like I should have done this at the beginning. Mm. Can you give me a, like a little summary of what, what got you into this field? Cause I, I, I know you had like an injury. Mm. Can you tell us? Yeah, I'll totally tell you. Um, okay. Where does this story begin? Okay. I'll start with the injury. So back in the day, which is crazy. I was thinking about this. It was 10 years ago, which feels like a long time ago. Uh, so I was a rugby player, which is very funny to think now because I'm like, this like yogi, like Ayurveda, you know, but I was a rugby player. And for anyone who's listening, you guys are in the UK, like everyone knows rugby probably. Right. So I was like oh that gosh. person, was like rough, rugby player, you know, drinking all the time, all, all of the things. So, um, I played rugby for 10 years, which is crazy. So 10 years ago is when well, roughly when I stopped, but I'd played for 10 years. And toward the end of my um, career as a rugby player, I had sustained like close to 10 concussions. A a bunch of them weren't like severe, but if you know anything about concussions, you know, they're very cumulative in nature and like three to four of them were like bad. Um, And so again, anyone listening to this who plays rugby or knows rugby, the sort of name of the game is just like, suck it up and keep going. Like if you're not dying, you're, you're still playing. So it was like just this sort of thing where, um, again, if anyone's familiar with rugby, there's this like very stringent like return to play protocol and you basically go through like, okay, do you have any of these symptoms? Obviously in true rugby fashion, I was like, nope, 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 nope. And then I would just try and get back to playing as soon as I could. But what happened, concussion after concussion, I started to feel not like myself. I started to have really severe anxiety, really severe, like just overwhelmed stress. Like I, I felt like I just couldn't keep my shit together basically. Um, and so, uh, actually at that time, I remember during one of my final return to play protocols, I thought maybe I should read what, what are the things like they ask you, like, if you say yes to any of these symptoms, you, you can't move on. So I just said no to all of them. So I could move on and let the test decide for me. But I looked at all the symptoms and it was like anxiety, depression, don't feel like yourself, memory issues. Like I had them all. <laughs> I was like, damn, like maybe I should have looked at this. And, um, so I was like, shoot, like I knew I was feeling these weird feelings and I, 
was like, fuck, it's the concussions. Oh no. Anyway. So I had all this, these anxiety, these symptoms, it's like memory loss, all of this stuff. And I didn't have the language for it at the time, but now I know that my nervous system was a hot mess. Of course you mess with your brain, which is like the friggin' CEO of the nervous system. Your whole nervous system is going to be a hot mess. Super, like just so anxious, so overwhelmed, like couldn't be in social settings. I'd go to parties and just like cry in the bathroom. Like I was, I was that overwhelmed. It was really, really bad. Yeah. I think back at that time and I'm like, I forget. I I joke with people like I forget, you know, concussions. I have this like memory stuff that kind of happens, but yeah, I forget that like it was really bad at that time. And I forget how bad it was. And I kind of feel like, oh, like I can't believe I kind of let myself, you know, I don't want to say like, let myself do that, but like I could, it could have gone differently had I just read the frigging thing and like honored that, no, I have this thing happening. So at some point in like the heat of my anxiety and overwhelm for anyone who's listening or has had concussions, the concussion like healing protocol is do nothing. Okay. I'm a pizza person. As we learned, this is a very go, go, go kind of person. And so to do nothing as a protocol was very hard for me. I couldn't just like sit still. Like I just wanted to do things, but my brain was all messed up and like, I didn't know what to do. So anyways, one day a friend of mine was like, listen, Mel, I know you can't like do anything, but like, we're going to go to the bookstore. You want to go to the book? Like, this is not, it's not, it's the least stimulating place we could like go to. And I was like, okay, and go to this bookstore. And I felt instantly drawn to, this is going to Ayurveda, but I wasn't drawn to Ayurveda. I was actually drawn to Buddhism and like Eastern. I've always my whole life been drawn to like Eastern religion. I just found it super fascinating. So I go to the Buddhism section. There's like a bajillion books. And I picked up, I was like, I just need the most basic book, you know? So I obviously picked up the complete idiot's guide to Buddhism. And I picked it up and I was like, okay, I'm going to meditate. Like if I'm going to do, I was like, meditating was going to be the thing I did to do nothing. So I was like, all right, I'm going to learn how to meditate. So that kind of got me into meditation. And I started to feel those symptoms started to not go away completely, but they started to feel a lot better. So I was like, cool. So then, you know, it sort of just sparked this thing where then I was like, okay, what's this yoga thing? Like, what's this thing? Right. So I started to kind of go on my like spiritual journey, so to speak. And again, sometime on that journey, I kind of forgot about the concussions. And I was just this like anxious, overwhelmed person. I thought there was something wrong with me. I was like, Oh, like I'm a hot mess all the time. Like, I don't know why, even though like it was very obvious, like it was those concussions. So anyways, I started on this journey of like healing. I was always into health and wellness and fitness. And it was like, I knew that like the thing that was going to help myself and so many people like I was a personal trainer at one point, And then I became a culinary nutritionist. And then I became a meditation teacher. And I knew that they all fit together, but like, I didn't know how. And then interestingly, I think it was on meeting my husband. I'd heard about Ayurveda, but I was like, okay, whatever. My husband had studied some Ayurveda as well. And when I, and I felt too, and maybe like, I don't know if you can relate with this, but when you start on like this journey, whether it's like spiritual or nutrition, like maybe you feel like you're all over the place. Like it's very Vata, right? So my concussion for sure, like invoked this like Vata way of being. And I would just read these like random books. Like it wasn't like a system. It was like, I was reading like random books on the chakras or random books on like this healing and that healing. And it was just all over the place and none of it fit together. And then I found Ayurveda and I was like, son of a gun, it's everything. Like it's, it's got nutrition and movement and meditation and breath work and all of these things. And it's in this one system and it just all makes sense. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is it. This is the, this is the Messiah. Like this is the Mecca. Right. And so, yeah, so I just like started devouring these books on Ayurveda and like just going so deep into learning and all of this stuff. And I thought like, I need to just like bring this to people. And so I got certified and started working with people. And then (laughs) the sort of like interesting thing that really like just blew my mind. Exactly. Like you said, is like, some people are like, okay, but what is this Ayurveda thing? Like, what is this? The more, because I have a degree in kinesiology, like I have a degree in exercise physiology and exercise science, which is 
interesting. When I started to understand the nervous system from the perspective of Ayurveda, and I was like, wait a minute, this is this is the same thing, but in a, in a different language. Like Ayurveda knew 5,000 years ago that like Vata Dosha, for example, rules over the nervous system. It just had this totally different language of describing exactly what science is showing. And I was like, oh my God, like this is me. Like this is, this is why, like it just felt like a really, exactly like you said, like it feels like this really, um, like, oh, this makes so much sense. It just resonated with my brain in, in a different way. And then when I, when I matched it with like the science I had learned, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is the, this is the mothership. So yeah, so that's my sort of story in a nutshell. And now I'm just like obsessed with sort of like, whenever I read something new Ayurvedically, Ayurvedically, I'll be like, where's the science around this? And always there's something that kind of like bridges the two together, which I think is just super cool. So yeah, so that's my story into Ayurveda and beyond. It's amazing. I could honestly listen to you talk all friggin' day. I, I, I love that from yoga, uh, from rugby to, to yoga. Yeah. And just like that feeling. It's amazing the journeys that we take and those moments that just are completely pivotal. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, that I find it's always like those moments where you're like, fuck, you know, this like kind of, um, I was reading and reading the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And he always love says that, that maybe I should read the exact thing, but he says that every adversity has an equal opportunity. And I was like, Ooh, that's so good. And it's so true. It's like this thing that I thought was this like adversity, like, Oh my God, like I can't function as a human being has actually become this beautiful opportunity to like learn Ayurveda and to, and in sort of, I don't even want to say like heal myself. Cause I do think it's a, it's a practice. It's an ongoing journey, but like in doing that work for myself, I'm like, well, what gets to be possible for like these other people, right. Who, who are been through something similar or who themselves have just this like, vata imbalance or whatever it is like i kind of learned how to i don't want to say heal from the root but i learned how to get to that like root of it which ayurvedically would be vata dosha and when i learned how to sort of calm that energy you know everything else kind of fell into place so then it's like if i can do that for me like i can do that for other people too right and yeah it's pretty cool the the effect it has on people i love how healers have to go through their own healing journey first it's like what what pivots everything i don't think I think I've said this on another podcast. I feel like anyone that's in this healing space has gone through their own kind of journey first. Yeah. That we, we learn so much from. This has been amazing talking to you and you are going to have to come back because there are yes. so many, so many things. If Probably. there was one thing and you had to pick one thing that you could do, yeah, get ready for your health and well-being, or for anyone or that anyone could do for their health and well-being, what would it be? It's such a tough one for a manifesting generator slash a boss. Like, <laughs> yeah, I would never. One thing, okay, the one thing, the one thing, the one thing. Okay. I don't know if this is the one thing, but it's going to kind of be the one thing. I think the one thing above anything else, I believe that self-awareness is the ticket to freedom because this language, it's the language of you. When I say things, you're like, yeah, that, you know, we know, we know what we need intuitively. I think the big issue is actually we're disconnected. We don't know who we are, what we're feeling inside. So if we all, if everyone could just do the work of tuning into themselves, going inward, whether that looks like meditation or whatever, cultivating more self-awareness in our food, cultivating more self-awareness in our daily routines, cultivating more self-awareness, like what do I want, right? How do I want my day to look, right? As mothers, what do I want? What do I need in the morning to feel good? How does doing X, Y, and Z make me feel? That the root of all of that is self-awareness. So I think that if people can get that, 
level of self-awareness, I think that the changes will sort of come more easily. And I think the interesting thing about say any coaching that people do is, you know, as a, as a coach, like the, the job isn't to like, I mean, there's obviously a part where we advise and tell people, but a lot of it is like helping people through their own self-awareness, come to their own conclusions about things. And I think, again, the root of that is self-awareness. So I think that, yeah, if people can do what I like to call the formal practices, so like the daily work of just checking in with themselves. How do I feel today? What's happening in my body? What's happening in my mind? And then take that on throughout the day. Like you feel triggered in a situation. Hmm. Why is that? You feel bloated after a meal. Well, what did I eat? You feel frustrated and irritable at your kid. Huh? Well, what did, how does my day look? If we can do that, then the rest is like easy, right? Well, not easy. It's simple, not easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I hope that is a sufficient one thing that people could do that is more than sufficient but equally i'm very impressed with how you've managed to get loads of different things and summarized it into one thing i I see you i see you (laughs) that's perfect and where do people find you because i know that everyone's gonna listen to this and just be like right i need more of this woman in my life i need to learn more where can they find you yeah, I think the best place to find me is probably Instagram at Yogi Fuel. Um, I'll probably be tagging Jody and all the stories. She'll be tagging me in the thing. So yeah, probably Instagram at Yogi Fuel. We have a Facebook group. It's called Beyond the Asana. I'm gonna change the name of it soon, so maybe don't maybe don't Google that. <laughs> but I would say Instagram for sure at Yogi Fuel. Um, and I'm happy to include if you want um a little morning routine guide for you for people to grab after this episode yeah. if people are interested. So that's a great way to keep connected for sure. That would be amazing. And you also have your podcast as well. So yes. called the oh Yogi God, yeah. Fuel. I'll promote you. Don't yes. worry. If you want yeah. to find Mel, <laughs> check out. She's got. She's on Instagram, but she's also got a podcast called the Yogi Fuel Podcast. Am I it right? is. Yep. Yes. I was going to say brain injury problems. I'm like, wait, like I only have this one place. I go. No, I do. You're right. I do have that. <laughs> no, you're you're amazing. Thank you so much for bringing so much joy to a sunny morning, but not quite as hot as yours. Um, And yeah, let's get you back. Yes, for sure. Now I'm like, okay, I'm going to research the period and the doshas and all of that. And then I will come back equipped with new wisdom. See, it's an ongoing journey. So I'm going to dive deep into that journey and then I'll come back. Giving you loads to do. Yes. (laughs) Come here and you get homework. (laughs) I'll have it on your desk Monday morning. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave me a review in iTunes or your podcast app because that just means that we can grow and we can take over the world and inspire as many women as possible and get this health and wellness information out there to the masses. Mm